you have your Bibles this evening and you would, turn them on or open them with me to the 19th chapter of Matthew. As you're finding the 19th chapter of Matthew, I want to preface this sermon with a couple disclaimers. One, we are entering into a discussion tonight about some stuff that's very difficult. Tonight, you might disagree with me on some things. I might disagree with you on some things. That is okay. We can still love each other. Tonight, as we enter into this discussion on the sanctity of marriage and what Jesus talks about marriage, you say, well, marriage is not hard. Jake, I don't, well, it's not easy, but it's uh, the topic of marriage in the Bible is a simple topic. Yes, marriage from God's perspective is created, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's, it's honorable. But if you know anything about mankind, when mankind gets involved, what happens? We corrupt everything. And there's brokenness, and there's pain, and there's difficulty, and there's challenges. And so I heard a preacher say one time, marriage, divorce, the topics of that encompass all of that, very challenging. Because why? You're dealing with people and pain. You're dealing with people and problems. You're dealing with personal scars that linger until the Lord takes you home. And so tonight I am going to share lots and lots of Scripture with you. Tonight, because I don't want you to hear what I have to say. You say, Jake, you cannot speak to the topic of divorce because you've never been divorced. You don't understand what it does and what it happens and all of those things. You are correct. But tonight I can tell you what God says about marriage. I can tell you what God says about forgiveness. I can tell you what God says about second chances. And I can tell you that with God, all things are possible. And so I say all that disclaimer because as we jump into Matthew chapter 19, it doesn't start off about marriage. It starts off by the, the, the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees trying to attack Jesus. This is a passage of Scripture that is used to harm Jesus, to try to cause Him to stumble. You see, there were two schools of rabbis in Israel at this time. One group believed that divorce should only happen in the cases of adultery. The other group and the popular opinion was no matter the reason, you should be able to put away a wife. You don't like the way she cooks your toast? Get rid of her. You don't like the way she combs her hair? Get rid of her. And I want to ask you, which do you think of those two views in Israel was the majority accepted view? Well, the second one, because if a man's not happy, there he goes. You say, what about a woman? Well, in Jewish culture, they were not allowed to file for divorce. And so I believe that what we see tonight is God putting things in place to protect the women who had no place in this situation. And so as we look at this tonight, I think about Jesus and what he's going through. If you remember, he was just talking about the new church and what the church was to look like, about sin and dealing with sin and reconciling and restoration. And he had just had the transfiguration on the mount and he had just healed the boy and he just had done so many wonderful things. And here they are again. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way or not, but have you ever felt like no matter what you do, it's not good enough? 
Have you ever felt that no matter how hard you try, you'd never seem to get anything accomplished? Or no matter how hard you try to make a difference in people's lives, they just won't let you. And that's where Jesus is. Jesus has worked and healed and done all of these things, but yet this group of people continue to follow him, harass him, and make his life challenging. And so I want to read verses 1 through 2 tonight. And if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the Word of God, and then we're going to jump in about why marriage matters. Why marriage matters. In Matthew chapter 19, starting in verses 1, it says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that He departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed Him, and He healed them there. Pray with me. Father, tonight I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that You are able to change lives. God, I thank You that You are able to do great and mighty works. So Father, tonight as You know my inadequacies, my failures, my struggles, my insecurities, tonight that You'd help me to preach Your Word, love, and truth. God, I pray tonight that You'd speak to Your people tonight. I pray that You'd help us to value marriage and to value the covenant that it involves and to the sacredness of it. Father, tonight help us as a church lead a world that has abandoned marriage and what it's supposed to look like. So Father, tonight I pray that you would forgive me of any sin in my heart or life that would hinder you working in this place tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so tonight if you're taking notes, and I really, really, really do hope that you will. Uh, that way if you have any questions or you have any concerns, you can bring them to me and talk to me about them. First thing I want to talk to you about why marriage matters tonight is that marriage is sacred. Marriage is sacred. Starting in verse 3, it says, The Pharisees also came to him. So he is healing. He's working. There are crowds following him. I mean, this is everybody's dream ministry. Lives are being changed. There are multitudes of people. It is a high moment in ministry. It's a high moment and making a difference in people's lives, and immediately what happens? The Pharisees also came to him, testing him. And that word for testing there is the word tempting, the word causing to try to stumble. They were coming with one intent, to get him in a mess. And saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Why do you think the Pharisees came with this question? Well, there's a couple reasons. They knew that if Jesus answered according to the one school of rabbi, that it was adultery only, then all this multitude that embraced the other kind of teaching would say, we don't want to follow him anymore. It's the same thing that goes on now. If you hear a preacher you don't like and you don't go along with you, then I'll move on and find one that I do like. But if he answered the other way, that it was for whatever you want, he knew that there would be another group of people who followed these teachings who would go against him. But it was actually deeper than that. If you remember a man by the name of John the Baptist, and if you remember what got him in trouble, 
and what he was preaching against when he was stirring up trouble for Herod. Herod had married his brother's or some family member's wife. And so, if you remember, John the Baptist says, you can't be doing this. It's sin. It's wrong. You're, you, you can. And if you remember, his new wife was not happy about it. And so she had her daughter dance and pleased Herod and promised her anything she wanted. And if you remember, her mother said she wanted one thing, the head of John the Baptist. And so I really do believe the Pharisees were hoping that if Jesus talked about divorce and remarriage, that it would draw the attention of Herod and that Herod would intervene and that Herod would do to Jesus what had been done to John the Baptist. You see, friends, these weren't a disgruntled group of Baptists that wanted to cause trouble. These were a disgruntled group of people that wanted Jesus to die. And friends, tonight, as you serve God in this life, and you serve God and follow Him, and, and you face persecution, and you face difficulty, and you face challenges, don't be overwhelmed because Jesus understands. Jesus knows what it's like. But so He begins here talking about marriage. And if we want to just jump right in here tonight, they ask the question. But the question is not what is important. It's the answer that Jesus gives them. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? I want to stop right there. Jesus affirms creation. Jesus said God made them in the beginning. A person who does not believe that the book of Genesis is a literal, accurate, history of how God created the world cannot line up their belief with the rest of the Word of God. And so when people like Andy Stanley get up there and say the Old Testament doesn't matter or Genesis doesn't matter, look up here. That is a lie from Satan. Because Jesus quotes the Old Testament. Jesus is always going back to in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, God made them. He created you. He created mankind. And so any notion that that is not the way that God's people are to believe is a lie from Satan because Satan does not want you to believe that God created you with a purpose. That God has a plan for your life. That God cared enough about you to form you and care for you. But not only that, he answered them and said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now, tonight I know that this is talking to the, to the proverbial crowd here. But I'm not worried about you tonight. I'm worried about that person that watches this online. I'm worried about that person that, for the first time, is checking out Ten Mile Baptist Church, who comes from a different worldview than we do, a different a mindset than we do. It is not that Christians hate people. It is that we believe God does not make mistakes in creation. And that God created two genders, male and female. He did not create them to switch them. He did not create them to change them. He did not create them to marry the same general. It says right here that if you believe the Word of God, if you believe the creation account of God, God did it in a specific order. And so today I want to tell you something. The people that march in the streets that are atheists and claim that God made mistakes because there is no God do not do damage to the church. What does damage to the church of Jesus Christ is when some half-infidel liberal 
in a liberal church talks about Jesus one day and talks about the fact that He did not create or made a mistake when He created you the next day. And so I am talking about most denominations that have abandoned the teaching of the Word of God. The Methodist church right now is getting ready to split down the middle over the issue of gender and over the issue of homosexuality. But yet Jesus in this one sentence settles the entire debate. He made them male and female. And friends, I know that it's easy for us conservative, right-wing, Southern Baptist to proclaim it and to declare it, but you never must forget that you have to declare it in love. That God can save the person that's confused about their gender. God can save the person who's living in homosexuality. God can save people who are broken and sinful because He saved you and I. And so we never must forget that. But he says here, he made them male and female. You say, okay, Jake, that setters the gender debate. But what about the other issues that are going on? In the very next sentence, Jesus not only settles the gender debate, but he settles the marriage debate. In two sentences, Jesus shuts down every argument that we are fighting about today, not just in our country, but in our churches. Today, I could take you to the Lutheran Church, the Episcopalian Church, the Methodist Church, uh, the, the church of almost everything that you put a name behind it, and every one of them have abandoned the teaching that God made them male and female. And if they haven't abandoned that teaching, this one is next. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now friends, I do not want to come across hateful tonight and I don't want to come across angry tonight, but the Bible teaches you specifically here that it is a male and it is a female who are coming together in holy matrimony. And friends, we cannot waver. We cannot give. We cannot bend. We cannot break. And it says, and the two shall become one flesh. And this word for one flesh here is the same way in the book of Deuteronomy that God refers to Himself. That there is one God. And friends, this is different attributes here. One, you can come together spiritually. One, you can come together emotionally. But you come together in marriage physically. That is why we see in the Word of God that the Bible teaches so strongly against premarital sex. And I know that we're living in a culture that considers that old-fashioned, that considers that ridiculous. But look up here. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is a sin. Now, I can tell you as a person who did not live for God, did not honor God before God brought me to Himself, I can tell you there are consequences from not doing it God's way. But you say, well, Jake, it was the 60s, it was the 70s, and we didn't have kids, so no one knew about it. But friends, if it happened and no one knew about it, it still was known by God. And we have to have honest discussions with our children as they grow up, with our grandchildren they grow up, that you must do it God's way. You say, Jake, we didn't do it God's way and we don't have any consequences. Not that you know of, maybe. But there are always consequences. 
It goes on there and says in verse 6, one of the most special verses in the Bible. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. God does something supernatural. He puts you together spiritually. He puts you together emotionally. And He puts you together physically. Therefore, so because God created them male and female, because God said a man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and because they become one, this beautiful, sacred, special covenant, therefore, what's the therefore? To connect you back to what was just said. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Tonight I want you to know something. The courthouse paperwork does not make you married. A pastor standing up here reciting some words does not make you married. When you commit to each other, and you say those vows, and you believe it in your heart, God puts you together. You say, well, Jake, that's, a, that's not a big deal. Well, it's a pretty good deal when... God brought me into His family at salvation. It's a pretty big deal when God takes two people and puts them together. And then He says though, be careful that no man separate or tear it apart. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says it like this, Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You say, Jake, we're living in a different time and age. We need to tell people that God loves them and that God just wants them to be happy and God just wants them to love the people that they want to love. Look what it says there, that God will judge. You cannot love people and tell them that loving any other way than God's word will be blessed. Friends, God is going to judge premarital sex. God is going to judge sex outside of marriage. God is going to judge homosexuality. God is going to judge whatever else is made up and confused and done when it comes to sex and marriage because God established it. And if you know anything about God, when He establishes something, He wants you and I to keep our hands off of it. If you remember in the Garden of Eden, He says you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from this one. What could Adam and Eve not do? They couldn't keep their hands off of it. If you remember in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, they were commanded to move it a certain way. And whatever you do, don't touch it. And as they were moving in an inappropriate way, it stumbled and they reached out to do what? Touch it and it killed them. And friends, I want you to know something today. It might not seem like marriage is important in our culture. But marriage is the backbone of our culture. Marriages that honor God, that raise godly children, that establish the family for tomorrow, are a game changer. In Proverbs 31 verse 10, the Bible says these words, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. You say, Jake, do you have any verses about good husbands? No, but it's just assumed, all right? No, I'm kidding. Marriage is sacred. There is a lot the church can compromise on. 
And there is a lot that the church can be understanding on. There's a lot that the church can debate on. But marriage is not one of them. You say, Jake, where is the line drawn? Marriage. The moment that this church decides to devalue marriage, you can find yourself someone else to stand behind this desk. Because God not only judges the people, but He judges those who enable sin to be done. Second thing I want to show you tonight is marriage is sacred. The second is mankind has made a mess of marriage. Mankind has made a mess of marriage. Look what it says here in verses 7 through 9 tonight. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Right here, you have two extremes in the teaching of God's word. Some people will come here today and say that this doesn't matter at all. It's not a sin. It's not a big deal. Do what makes you happy. The other extreme, people will say, see, there is no hope. There's no chance. You made this mistake. It is beyond repair. I want you to hear this tonight. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But it is still sin. And so tonight, whether I was preaching on pride, preaching on lust, preaching on unforgiveness, preaching on robbery or covetousness, it fits the bill. But tonight, because of how it affects us, it changes everything about us. Tonight you might be saying, well, Jake, I want you to answer the question about if someone's being abused, or I want you to answer the question about if someone's an alcoholic. I want you to answer the question about all these other specifics, and I want you to look up here, and I want you to hear me say this. Those are all above my pay grade. All I can tell you is that God wants marriages to work. That God understands that marriage is broken not because of Him, but because of us. And so what does Jesus actually teach us here in this passage of Scripture? You say, Jake, this has to be a mistake. This has to be a failure. It can't be just this one teaching. I'm glad that you wanted more evidence. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus is teaching a group of people. You see, in this setting, He's being attacked by a group of people that want Him to die. And so His answer seems very straightforward, and maybe you would say extremely harsh. But in Matthew chapter 5, He is teaching a group of people what God wants for them. And listen to what He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. You say, wait a second, Jake, that's exactly the same thing. You are correct. You say, okay, those are two instances that the Bible says that, but those are because Jesus was teaching publicly and Jesus was being attacked. Oh, I'm glad that you asked because I really wanted to show you one more passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is in a private home 
teaching the disciples and teaching a small group of people. A group of people that He loves and that He trusts. And the question is brought up again. And in Mark chapter 10, starting verse 11 and verses 12, So He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You say, wait a second, Jake. You just told us that you couldn't get divorced from a woman's perspective in Judaism. I'm glad that you picked up on that because it's very important. Matthew was written to who? The Jews. Mark was written to the Gentiles. Gentiles would have been the audience of Mark. And in their culture, it would have been much more extreme than in Judaism. Women would have had some rights, some decisions, some options to make these decisions. And so what he's saying is, now ladies, just because we told the husbands we couldn't do this, doesn't mean you're left out. The Word of God applies to both male and female. There is no difference. You say, well, Jake, is that all the Bible teaches about this topic? No, I'm glad that you want to know tonight because I really want to share with you what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul, in writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, writes these words, starting in verse 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Why do you think Paul put that in there? Because Paul was just as scared to talk about this as I am tonight. You say, Jake, why are you scared? I've watched churches split over this topic. I watched pastors be run out of town by teaching these things as a child. I've seen people hurt because they felt like the preacher didn't care about their experiences. And tonight I want nothing but to honor God and to show you that no matter where you've been tonight, if this is you and you're saying, Jake, I've not done it God's way, that it doesn't have to define you. God can forgive you and work in your life today just like He can anyone else. Yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. You say, Jake, what does that mean? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I want to tell you what I feel that it means. Earlier when you asked about what do you do when a husband's a deadbeat or what do you do when a wife has not committed adultery but she's, she's, I don't know what she's doing, okay? But it doesn't fit into the adultery clause. What do you do? You move out. If it is so bad that it is abusive or harmful, you move out. But don't miss this here. It doesn't say that you move out and what? file for divorce. And you say, Jake, why is that? I don't understand that. This is my opinion and you can disagree with me and still go to heaven. I believe that if a person separates for a reason other than adultery and that person's heart is as wicked as you think it is, you give them a little time and I can promise you they'll be looking for something that they're not getting and then it is adultery. And then in that instance, if there is no reconciliation, the Bible gives you permission to file for divorce. Does God want you to file for divorce? Does God want that to be the end result? I do not believe so, but it is understandable and permittable. You say, Jake, that sounds like an awful liberal view. All I did was share Scripture with you. You can take it up with the guy in charge when you get to heaven, and so can I. In verse 12, though, it says, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, Say, 
If a brother has a wife who is not believed, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. You say, oh, so Jake, if I want to marry an unbeliever, this gives me permission. Absolutely. And I know it works out and I know God honors it, but the Bible never permits for a believer and an unbeliever to get married. Now, can God save someone after that? Absolutely. But when you are considering marriage today, you ought to be considering a person who loves Jesus and loves you. This is for a person who is saved later on and another person is not saved. Or they got married and they weren't saved and a husband got saved. What do you do with that? Paul says, if they will stay with you and they will not harm you, they will not abuse you, they will not ruin you, then stay. Because what happened in the early church was, if I got saved at a, a meeting with the Apostle Paul and I went home to some Aphrodite-worshiping heathen, it's kind of like, boy, there's some good new saved women at the local First Baptist Church uh, in Corinth. I'll trade her for an updated model. One that thinks like me, one that talks like me, one that lives like me, and I'll just discard this. And so these people were getting saved, they were getting changed, and they were married to unbelievers, and it was hard, and it was a challenge because you got someone who is going to sinful offerings to pagans, and you got someone that's sitting and listening to the Apostle Paul talk about flee from idolatry, and the discussion is, what are we going to talk about when I get home? And so it was hard, it was challenging, it was difficulty. And so the believer would say, let's get rid of her and let's get a believer because now we are equally yoked. And Paul says, don't do that. You say, Jake, but why? I'm so glad that you wanted to know tonight. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now, they are holy. Don't miss this tonight. If you're here tonight and you're a mother and your husband doesn't care about the things of God or is not a believer, you can influence your husband and children for the Lord. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't going to mean they're husband or father of the year awards. But if you live for Jesus long enough, some of them will get saved. Those kids will come under the influence of a godly mother. You say, Jake, why does that matter? If a believing spouse leaves an unbelieving spouse and a kid stay in the home of the unbeliever, what becomes the dominant teaching in the home? Something other than God's Word. But, Paul says, and don't miss this tonight, in verse 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. Paul says, if you got saved and your unbelieving spouse says, I don't want no part of this Bible thumper. <laughs> I don't want no part of him going to church on Sunday morning, selling our piece of property and giving it all to that guy named Peter down there. I heard he, someone got struck dead because they didn't give right. And that person abandons the marriage. Paul says, you were free. That was nothing you could control by honoring God. But in verse 16, For how do you, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? 
If at all possible, God wants you to stay and try to make it work. Stay and try to honor Him through it. You say, Jake, i got more questions about this. Like I said, you can open your Bible and study it just like I can. And if you really want answers, listen to John MacArthur. But anyway, uh, the third and final point tonight is be faithful no matter your situation. Be faithful no matter your situation. Because if you're the disciples and you're thinking, boy, marriage sounds hard. And staying married sounds hard. And you can imagine all these men had spent their life hearing, if you don't like her, trade her for a new one. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, no. No, you don't. Listen to what it says in verses 10 through 12. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. If it's going to be that hard, let's just all not get married. Thought I might get an amen or two there, but I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, just a little humor after the tension that's in the air tonight. <laughs> but in verse 11, Jesus answers this question. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Now I want to just clarify something that's not prevalent in our culture today, but in the day and time of Paul it was. There would be people that would physically alter their bodies so that this would no longer be an issue. Friends, that is contrary to the Word of God. The book of Deuteronomy, the book of Leviticus, talks very specifically about not in cutting your body and altering the way that you were made. It's a kind of a clear uh, indictment against those who change the genders and the whatever the words you want to use for what God gave them at birth. But he says there are some who were born and some who have made a decision to serve God and not marry. And friends, that is not a decision that should be entered lightly. I heard a Catholic priest preaching on this topic because I wanted to see a view different than ours. And it was the teaching that all ministers, all priests should be celibate because Jesus taught this here. And friends, that's not a bad thing to believe. It is something that you can believe. But in 1 Timothy, the third chapter, the Apostle Paul said that a minister, an elder, should be the husband of one wife. And so if God has called you to be single and serve Him, be faithful while you are single. If God has called you to be married and to serve Him, be served faithful where you are. You say, Jake, I was married and I'm no longer married and I don't know what to do. Be faithful where you are. You say, Jake, I was married and now I'm remarried. Be faithful where you are. I do not believe that divorce is a perpetual sin. That means that it follows you and follows you and follows you. I believe that when you ask for forgiveness, God forgives you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot act, exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I'm not going to go into this topic because I just don't want to. All right? Take it for what it's worth. 
The Bible speaks about the sin of sexual activity outside of marriage. But the Bible promotes and the Bible blesses sexual activity in a marriage. Not an amen in the whole place. I got a thought on that, but I'm not going to say it from the pulpit. And what has happened is, when that doesn't go on, there is a burning temptation. A burning passion. And what Paul says is, if you cannot stay pure, get married. Now, I don't think that's the only reason you should get married, right? But, there is a reason that 90% of men and over 60% of women are struggling with pornography. That's in the church and it is outside of the church. And it is because God intended for sex and all that encompasses that to be something that happens in marriage and honors God and honors your partner. And when that doesn't happen, we do not teach the next generation what a healthy marriage is. And so, to conclude tonight, what is it about marriage that is so special? It comes from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and I'm not going to read all 11 verses. But when Jesus is talking about marriage, and He talks about it over and over again, when Paul begins to clarify it, Paul begins to clarify marriage in the sense that it represents Jesus and the church. And starting in verse 22, and I might read it all just because I've got some time and it's really awkward in here tonight. So, in verse 22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Thought it was bad talking about divorce. Might as well throw some other stuff on there that will upset you. As also Christ is the head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That's a beautiful picture of the church in Jesus. Of what it's going to be like and what it looks like. But he does something right after that verse. So. You know what the so is there doing? This is what God did. This is why it matters. And this is what he wants us to do. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I am speaking concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Today I believe that the church is so broken because marriages are so broken. Because our views of marriage are the same views as church. 
Let me describe it to you like this. How many couples do you know that are still together because it's cheaper than being apart? How many people do you know that are still married today, not because of love and affection and passion, but because what would they do if they weren't together? You see, that's not how it is to be because that attitude comes to church. I don't really love being at church, but i got to go somewhere. Might as well go here. Sermons aren't too long, so it's better than some. Well, I really don't want to be involved or care about the church, but I definitely want to find a seat that's comfortable and get what I want and what I need. But yet, when the church lives out marriage, when you will love your spouse like the Bible says, people get a picture of of what Jesus has done for us. The fact that He died on a cross for our sins. The fact that He was willing to sacrifice and let His body be broken for you and I. And because we are His church, we submit to Him, love Him, follow Him, because He what? First loved us. The reason that Satan is attacking marriage is so that he can undermine the gospel. That he can undermine what love looks like. And if Satan can undermine what love looks like, he can convince the world that there is a Savior who does not love him. Why is it that you think that most people view God as some cruel, far-off, distant being, if they believe at all, that doesn't care about them? Because that's exactly what Satan wants. But yet Jesus took on flesh, lived among men, died a substitutionary death so that you and I could know Him, have a relationship with Him, and be forgiven by Him. And so tonight my challenge to you is honor your marriage. Love your spouse. Cherish and pursue a marriage that matters. And no matter where you've been or what pain you have experienced, know that God is not done with you. Know that God can forgive and work and restore and heal. But tonight it's going to be an honest evaluation. Are we willing to honestly evaluate our marriages? Are we really having marriages that look different than the world at all? Or do they look just like the world? So tonight, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe tonight you just want to grab your spouse and you want to come and find a place to play, pray because you say, I am so thankful for them. I love them dearly. Maybe tonight you want to come and find a spot with your spouse and say, I'm sorry for not being the father, the husband, or the wife that God wants me to be. Maybe tonight you want to come and pray for your children that are not married yet. Today at the Dairy Queen, the Hampsons and Hendersons and I were all sitting there one of my children had one of those boys pinned down hugging him in the pew. And I thought, I'm going to beat my kid and theirs. But no, it was my kid's fault, 100%. But one of these days when they're old enough, my child's going to want to get married. And I want to model and teach her that there's a certain kind of man she should be looking for. Oh, trust me, there'll be plenty of boys come up my driveway over the years. And I hope I don't get angry enough to murder one of them and go to prison. I wouldn't do well in prison, I know. But that day is coming. And who will they marry? I'm praying for the rapture, but I don't have any control over that either before they get married. 
But I pray that they're looking for a man who will love them in a way that honors Jesus and honors them. So maybe tonight you want to come and pray for your kids and your grandkids that God would protect them from some slick-talking weasel that doesn't want anything from them, but you know what? And that a man will come up that driveway or into your front house one day that loves Jesus and will treasure them as the rubies that they are. So tonight, I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it's something totally different. Maybe tonight you need to be saved because you've never experienced a love like Jesus offers. I'm going to be right down here. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you what the Bible says. And know that even though we've made a mess of things, God is gracious and merciful. So if you would stand with me, if every head bowed, every eye closed, Jamie comes tonight and Janice comes to play. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. Lord, not my word. Lord, I pray tonight that I have spoken your word in its truth and entirety. Father, I pray tonight that you would show this congregation the love and care I have for them. Not a cruel or unkindness tonight because of our past. But that God forgive. You forgive and you give second chances and you can put things together that we never dreamed could be together. But tonight I pray for marriage, Lord. I pray for the marriages in this church that they would be transformed into something that honors You. Lord, I pray that You'd help us to stand for the sanctity of marriage in the public arena, in our private homes, and in our church. Father, help us to honor it in our speech and honor it in our lives. Tonight, Lord, I pray for that person that's here that's never been loved by You. Lord, that they've never experienced that love that You want to offer them. Father, tonight I pray that Your Holy Spirit would be convicting that lost person in this building tonight that they want to find love and forgiveness through You and Your forgiving power. Father, I pray for that family that's struggling tonight, for the marriage that's got problems. God, I pray that tonight You would transform this place because marriage matters to You. And so, Lord, I just ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.